Welcome to Women in Chemicals, Women of the Week. I'm Claire. And I'm Kylie, and today we're joined by Blair Lamandola, who is a plant engineer at Lindy. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Blair. Uh, today's event is, host, is sponsored by ChemFormation. ChemFormation is a chemical information database used by chemical industry professionals, such as distributors, formulators, chemists, and producers, to quickly find information on chemical products. It covers industry, including oil and gas, food, household industrial, cleaners, ink, metal finishing, paints and coatings, personal care, pharma, pulp and paper, water treatment, and many more. Use confirmation to search by trade name, chemical name, cast number, manufacturer, and end use application, or search by more specific criteria like HLB value, cloud point, or foam characteristics. During these times when raw materials and product shortages are affecting the chemical industry, ChemFormation is a tool to help find alternative products in the marketplace. For more information, go to www.chemformation.com. Great. Thanks, Claire. And Blair, thank you again for joining us today. We're really excited to hear your story. Um, wanting to kick it off, yeah, by, by allowing for you to kind of share your story, uh, your career journey, what your background is a little bit more with our community. So if you could, please tell us about yourself and how you got to your current role. Well, thank you so much, Kylie and Claire, for giving me this opportunity. I um, am Blair Lamondola. I'm a Louisiana native. I've been here, born here, raised here all my life. Um, I have a background in biological engineering that I got at LSU, um, the college in Baton Rouge. I know there's a lot of iterations of LSU, so that the actual Louisiana State University at Baton Rouge. Um, so the big to-do football college, as, we're, <laughs> as we all know. Um, so I started off my career early on during um, around 2013 before I graduated. I was working as a waitress and working in a student uh, lab for LSU. I started off in oceanography. So I uh, sampled BP oil spill samples and mm. did all the microscope work for that um, after the spill had happened. So we were doing like the oceanography side with NOAA on um, how that BP oil spill affected aquatic life in the Gulf. Mm. Um, so that's how I got my laboratory start. And then uh, my husband actually worked offshore. We were dating at the time. And he's like, hey, you work for a lab. Like, why don't you get into the plants and work for a lab? It's like, what? I never heard of that. Even since this industry is very big down here, um, that never crossed my mind. I was more medical driven, hence the biological part of the engineering degree. So I went and did all my pre-med classes. I was dead set. I was going to be a doctor and go to LSU med school and all that. Um, so it was like, really a plant lab? Okay. So I went on a couple interviews and I got hired on at Honeywell in 2015 and started off in the lab there and worked shift work for four years until moving into a quality specialist role, which I later morphed into quality engineering, um, made a lot of relationships there, and then decided I wanted to go more the chemical engineering route. So that last um, six or so months I was there, I did a chemical engineering stint and um, then I left Honeywell and joined Lindy early this year. So I've been with Lindy for around seven months. So it's been a, a, a big change, but a good change. Mm -hmm. And that's how, that's kind of my career in a synopsis. 
Absolutely. So we've got a couple of more targeted questions, Blair, to dig into your experience a little bit more here throughout today's interview, but um, wanting to touch a little bit on what it was like for you entering the chemical engineering space with your specialized degree of biological engineering. So we talked about how you had that more medical uh, path in mind and how you ended up in something a little bit different. So can we talk a little bit about your experience and what that was like? So with that experience was rather difficult and it still is difficult to this day um it i've only broken through that realm due to the fact that if i can just get to past the interview stage past the the resume sorter so basically this industry down here is not biological engineering driven that's more of east coast um thing which i later learned on right so i didn't want to lose any credits when i went to the medical route and I was like, well, let me get a degree that's going to get I can get a job so I can earn income while I figure out what I'm going to do with the medical stuff. Hmm. So I found out I really liked it and wanted to stay here. But then obviously there was the biological chemical mechanical barrier. So a lot of having to review transcripts, having to um, network with uh, my leadership team at Honeywell and really uh, let them kind of be more aware of the program. So when I started as a BE, there was only 20 students. We were a very small college. So not a lot of people knew about us. And so if you graduated prior to, which obviously the leadership team were mainly a little older than I was, probably a decade older, they never heard of the college, never knew what it was. Okay. So that was the barrier. They just didn't know. But once they looked into the transcript, looked into the classes I took, it was very comparable to chemical engineering. Um, so having a manager that is willing to at least be open to the research and not just say you're not a chemi or you're not a, uh, an ME pass that's that kind of that was I had to work more internally I couldn't go outside of the organization at that time so I figured that out and knew what my strategy was going to be um, I had to be in more of an internal um, I had to work my way up internally to prove to outside organizations that I was capable of the skill set mm -hmm. for the roles Definitely. It sounds like you became your own like internal salesperson almost to help Absolutely. for people that weren't as aware of how, you know, interconnected your background was with the roles that they had available. Right. Definitely. Claire, any comments to add there? No, I just love the, the fact that you did challenge that mindset because I, and not accepting that, Hey, this is the framework. <clears throat> Cause I would say, at least in some prior sessions or conversations, it's come up like, hey, sometimes women don't always go for a role because we're not 100% fit for that job description. So the fact that you mm -hmm. um, really advocated for yourself and took that time and challenged that paradigm, I thought was, was pretty cool. So Yeah, and I, I'm a very driven person. I think we're going to get to that a little later of like how I, you know, uh, pursued those boundaries and didn't just say this is the bubble I'm in I'm just going to be a lab quality person so um that just it, it takes a lot of motivation to do that and you're going to be told no a lot and you're going to have to explain yourself a lot and just I think with having the relationships I had at Honeywell I proved myself worthy of and I kept asking the question I kept 
going to the hiring managers, the leadership team that I wanted to be on and said, how'd you get here? What do I need to do in order to get my next role? So Mm -hmm. I had to be self-advocating because no one is going to do that for you, especially when you don't fit the mold. It's even harder. Mm -hmm. Even harder. That's a really good point. So on the topic of kind of these like shifts and dynamics and throughout your career journey, Blair, what are some of the key learnings or benefits that you experienced from your work in that shift role where you, you mentioned, I think you were in that, that shift position for about four years at the earlier stages of your career versus going straight into that engineering work that you ultimately ended up in. Right. So I was asked this at the interview. I remember when I went to go interview for the lab job, they're like, well, you're an engineer. Why are you not involved? Like being in the engineering roles. Like, why aren't you interviewing for those? Um, Basically, I told them because they don't know who I am and they don't know what I'm capable of. Um, So I did it as a learning experience, not only because I was familiar with lab work, but um, to gain a better perspective of shift work in general. And I was able to do that, right? I didn't have a family. I was, you know, newly dating and, and engaged, So I really didn't have the responsibilities of a mother at that time. And um, so I was establishing establishing myself within the plant community because it is a community and there's a lot of respect for people in the community to work, working shift work. And it's not even just shift work, it's rotating shifts. So you would work 12 on 12 uh, like 12, like two days, and then you go on three nights and then you rotate and then you work holidays and you work weekends. Yeah. And the, the determination of a person that can do that and um, be able to succeed and actually break the bounds is very unique in my um, industry as well. Nobody really goes from shift to days. Like that's a very hard move to make. Um So I just basically went in and learned every single job that they had available to me. So every single unit had its own section for the lab. I was able to learn everything, be OJT and prove myself to the leadership team there that I was, I was, um, you know, qualified and motivated to move out of that role. But you gain a lot of respect from operations. You get relationship, direct relationships with operations, INE, um, plant leadership, if things go wrong, you're involved in every aspect. Environmental was a big one too. Um, Mm -hmm. you learn, you just learn about how the plant operates as a whole from a different perspective. Absolutely. Very interesting. And I think this is a really good segue Blair into the next question that leans into recognizing that the chemical industry, more particularly in these operations and engineering roles is quite male dominated. So really intrigued and curious to understand what that's been like for you from that angle and that perspective, Mm -hmm. uh, not only as a woman, but also as a mother while you navigated your career journey over time as well. Right. So um, how that was. So when I joined into the lab, they were just establishing, um, they were trying to establish a 50-50 ratio. Um, Usually, um, when you are a lab technician in a plant, you are assigned to go out into the field and take the samples physically. Mm -hmm. So that, in turn, eliminated a lot of women back then because you have to climb upstairs. Like, there were 
elevated sampling points and dangerous work environments. And you had to be like, this is an acid plant. So you had to be chemically suited up when you go and take these things. So a lot of women would probably be deterred by the fact that you had to go physically in the unit in hazardous environments. Um, So when I joined the lab, they were no longer doing that. So operators who were familiar with the hazards were going and taking the samples and delivering them to the lab. Okay. So that opened up a whole, a whole lot of opportunity for women who may, may not have been physically strong enough to do those tasks. So whenever I started, um, that was a new established rule that, you know, operations would do that. Um, it was a learning curve, right? <laughs> um, operations, uh, just the, I don't know if it's been brought up here, but just their way of their attitude and the way operations speaks and, and they have their own language and that's not really, um, friendly towards women. If, if, if that, um, if that comes across as the way I'm trying to do it, it's their, their, it's, it's, their, you have to have tough skin. And you okay. have to be able to deal with some verbiage that's not normally said around women. Mm-hmm. So uh, that all kind of was a shocker for them. They had to kind of watch what they said. Um, they can't be derogatory or we've yeah. had um, instances where they needed samples because of plant turn up, turnaround or upset. And they would be very aggressive and things of that nature, trying to get uh, samples and data in. And that was kind of a, you know, we kind of had to reestablish their relationship with, with lab technicians because of the fact that we were all, or half were women, Mm -hmm. just, just the way the training happened, the way the relationships um, were established in the lab itself um, changed. So that's a hard, they, they don't, uh, these old operators that have been there forever are going to do what they want to do. And so there, there was barriers there. Um, I ended up getting pregnant while working shift work. So me and a couple other counterparts got pregnant at the same time. Okay. <laughs> so we were, we were navigating the waters, but obviously, um, it didn't slow me down. I was able to work all the way up to the month and then they did accommodate me mm-hmm. to being in the lab, not doing shift work on days, doing procedures and things like that. So they, they've learned to be accommodating, but you as a person had to know and go to your doctor and say, Hey, I'm exposed to this chemical, this chemical, oh, okay. what can I do? And then you have to take that information and go to your manager. That's not something that they do automatically. So it's, it's confidential that you're going through that time in your life until obviously it's very obvious, but, um, you have to tell them, look, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like you have to be your own advocate in these plants just because they don't really know what you can and cannot be around. So you have to let them know, I can't do this task. I can't do this per, per, um, medical reasons or whatnot. Yeah. Um, that was a barrier that I had to face as well with that was, Hey, going to my managers and saying, look, you know, I'm obviously a dedicated worker. I've been here for four years, but we're going to have to make accommodations for me during this point. Yeah. It sounds to me, Blair, like, and this isn't even anything that I've ever had to 
consider myself personally in my career at this point, but it sounds to me like you had to bring this acknowledgement or recognition that there are things that you cannot can and cannot do while you are pregnant or carrying a child in this environment, as opposed to having this kind of governance or standard established for expecting mothers mm-hmm. within this position, which makes me think like, wow, that kind of, and this is an assumption that I'm making, but my interpretation seems to be like, wow, this type of role or this environment that you're working in is very used to traditionally not involving consideration of expecting mothers, right? So that much is, so that is correct. Yeah. <laughs> that you have to bring that in there if you want it to be acknowledged. It sounds like it was well received in the way that it was, you know, on both ends, the way that you brought it forward for yourself, but the way that it was received, it sounds like it was well received. But to even have to like take the initiative yourself as the employee to bring that forward is not even something I've ever had to think about in my career. Yes. So like, that's, that's what I mean. I was the first one to be pregnant and under a new supervisor as well. So it was one of those things that he didn't know how to deal with it. Obviously he's coming from a male perspective and, um, the industry just, they don't have breastfeeding rooms. Has this changed? And that's like right into the next question here. Has it changed since you Um, had your child? So I experienced the, my, both of my pregnancies, I have two, two sons. Um, so one pregnancy I went through with shift work and then the second pregnancy, I was actually on days and, um, I had my own office and then I had to ask for a refrigerator for my Mm -hmm. breastfeeding needs. Um, so what was your question? I'm sorry. Has, has your experience changed? So maybe uh, like as you went into your second child, mm-hmm. like did you notice that there were changes or that your industry or your environment that you're working in had adapted to expecting mothers? I mean, not really. You just had to be in the in a day's role. Um, I got lucky to where when I was expecting with my first I was on days and, um, when I, my water broke, which was actually at the plant. Um, (laughs) yeah, that was fun. Um, when I was there, uh, I ended up just doing my maternity leave and said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't go back to shift work because there's no place for me to go do my breastfeeding things. And then just the, the schedule doesn't accommodate it either. So you think about the schedule and having a newborn, there's just no way I can, I can make that work. And my husband's also in the industry as well. So he wasn't, he wasn't home. He wasn't available. He was one days, but I was on rotating. So it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. So I actually interviewed for two jobs at the same time on the phone while breastfeeding my child at home. Um, to get out of shift work, to go to days. And I ended up landing the quality specialist role, which I turned into quality engineering. So, so I knew going in and he knew going in, Hey, she just had a baby. This is what the expectations were. Yeah. So I luckily got my own office and refrigerator. So my manager accommodated me, but we did have, like I said, there was two other folks and a really good friend of mine. She's still good friends with me. She's still in industry. She's about to have her third baby. 
and she's at shell now, but Mm -hmm. um, she was having her baby and another girl, um, as well. So one girl ended up leaving because she had to share the office of the manager to breastfeed and the demands of the lab for 12 hours. She couldn't, she couldn't make it and and maintain her supply. So she ended up quitting uh, very shortly after staying in that role. So I was like, I got lucky that a role came up and I was qualified due to my Mm -hmm. engineering degree to get out of the lab to maintain what I wanted and have a better schedule and have space and time. But I mean, I still got knocks on the door. I put a sign up breastfeeding. No, no, constantly doing meetings, breastfeeding, or I had, I had gotten the willow and walked around and was doing all like meetings face to face with pumps. And I mean, you just had to, you just had to be comfortable with yourself in order to just like power through it but it was hard maintaining that and being in the field. So you can have a meeting, say you're in the field and you're looking at something and operations is going through your spiel and you're going up and down uh, the unit steps and it's been an hour, two hours. And you're like, it's starting to hurt. Like we got to get back. And you just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not maintainable whenever you're expected to Mm -hmm. do 50, 50, field work versus. um, So it sounds like Blair, you had to transition away from this lab field work to meet the needs that came with motherhood. That is correct. I had to change and I did not know what I was like. I literally was like, I can't go back. And it just happened to where I had either an HSNE role that I was going to get into or quality specialist, but it was straight days. I had to change my position. I couldn't be in the lab and do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Claire, do you have any comments there? I know that you're a a mom of a young one as well. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean, it's so hard to be a new mom and then to hear like, you know, just come back and, and manage the pumping and the schedule, just like in an office or working at home was hard enough. Like I can't imagine what you had to go through. So I applaud you for that. And then you know, to take a step back when you're in, when you find out you were pregnant, you know, and there's that three months of very sensitive timing where you're, you know, trying to do your job and you don't really want to, sh- you have to be selective with how you share the news because things right. can happen. And so I'm, I'm just curious with, you know, the information that you receive from your doctor, but like what you can and cannot be around. Like, I mean, did that force you in a position where you had to share the news sooner than what you maybe Mm. would have expected to or wanted to, or were you able to navigate that in a way where you could still have that confidentiality if you wanted it? And um, I kept it pretty well hidden. Um, I did tell my manager immediately and um, she was aware. So it was a woman whenever I was, in my first one with the lab. And then it was a man yeah. whenever I transitioned to my other role and then had my second one. Yeah. Um, so I just want to clarify that. Cause I think it was, it was yeah. what I said earlier, but so I told her, and then I did have some nausea moments, um, during that, that, uh, 12 week period that I wasn't telling a whole lot of people. Um, but I was in a rotation to where I wasn't around anything that I was worried about. So I got lucky in that aspect, but she was aware of it. 
Um, so they kind of just didn't put me in those areas and people don't catch on to that. Like the, that was like, Hey, you know, I was in an area that only really advanced lab techs would be in. They just kept me there okay. until it was obvious that like, I couldn't go to these other areas. Then everybody was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. She's pregnant. She's not going to go to acid. She's not going to go deal with this crazy catalyst or whatever. Yeah. So, um, I was accommodated just by being advanced in the lab and being like OJT that I could just say, Hey, I'm just going to stay in this area. And it yeah. just wasn't noticed really. Interesting. Very unique experience for you. Um, Blair, I want to touch on something that we've hinted at wanting to spend some time talking about, and that is um, kind of your work style and the determination that you approach situations with, right? Mm -hmm. uh, not only in your career, but also with the degree that you carry with yourself. So can you talk a little bit more about um, how you've, you know, found this driven determination within you and how you've owned that and received kind of growth opportunities as a result of this perspective you have? Right. So it really does stem from childhood. I was raised by a Southern man who always said you never have a things, you know, you do everything full out and you don't want to have your manager saying you didn't do a hundred percent. So that's how I was raised. And just, I had the determination even in high school. So I was valedictorian in high school. And I remember my parents saying, Hey, if you're valedictorian, we'll get you a car I was like, <laughs> game on because I will do this, you know? So yep. anything I wanted to do, I kind of did. So like, even I'm not a big frou-frou frilly girl. I didn't like pink. I, you know, I didn't, I, I was in beta club in school. I loved math and I was really like organized as a person, but my sister was the one that did dance. And I was like, well, you know, I got into dance later on and everybody was like, you should try out for the dance team for high school. And I was like, well, that's, I, I can do that. That's fine. So I went and tried out and I didn't make it. And I was like, man, I really want to do this though. So I kept going back to technique and then I tried out again and I made it. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, you know, I didn't even have this background in dance and I just had the determination. So mm -hmm. it really proved to me as like even high school, like middle school, high school, that if you have the determination to want to do something, you can do it. Oh, yeah. And so I carried that on in my career. So like, like I said, whenever I had my child and I was just in limbo, what am I going to do? Like, hey, you want, you want to meet with me and I can interview in front of a panel of five, six people for two jobs. Sure. I can do it. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And if you want me, like I literally just, I feel like we are our own worst enemy when it comes to that. We kind of self doubt and I self doubt all the time because we're moms and we're like, do we do this right? Are we raising them right? Are we making the right moves or the right steps? But it really takes a lot of like self-awareness to say, I want to do this, or I have an interest in this and you have to network and know who to go to for those answers. So I really owned that after I got into my daytime role as a quality specialist, I went to my manager. I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm not a specialist. I'm not being paid correctly for this. Sure. Yes. You're not. Okay. Like I got a pay increase because I questioned Sure. My, my role. Okay. Well, look, I don't want just this responsibility. I want more engineering responsibility. Okay. So we're going to do, give you this, this, this project. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I really like this. So 
who are the people that I can go to for computer knowledge? Oh, controls engineers. Okay. So mm -hmm. I really had an interest in controls engineering. So you just go talk to them. And the manager was like, yeah, if the opening comes up, we'll more than likely uh, hire you for controls. Mm -hmm. Or because you have the determination and come to us and say, I'm interested. I want to learn. I did the same with project management there. I had a um, like you have to kind of open your horizons and talk to people in the roles and say, how did you get here? How do you like it? What yep. steps did you take? So I was more geared towards project engineering at that time. And every project engineer in Honeywell I talked to was like, you need to be a chemical engineer. You need to know your process. You need to know how long it takes for certain maintenance activities. I'm a quality engineer. I'm, I'm just saying, hey, the C of A is not matching up. We're changing these parameters. So I was like, oh, well, if I want to be a project manager, I need to get into chemical engineering. And then so I went to the chemical engineering uh, leader and I was like, hey, you know, this is the career path I want to be on. Then I went to my manager as well, who was a, a process engineer by trade. Um, so I was like, hey, like, what can I do to improve my skill set in this area? And he's like, well, you know, uh, this person's transitioning out of their role. So you can do a dual role and see how you mm -hmm. like chemical and quality at the same time. But you have to maintain your responsibilities. OK, yeah. so I had to open myself up for that it's not something that's listed dual role yeah. and things like that are just special accommodations that are made per the two leadership team members to know hey look this person's interested they want to mm -hmm. like figure out and work with y'all's team to see if they want to move forward so I kind of it's all my personality, I guess, like, cause I yeah. talk to my husband about this all the time. He's like, Hey, I don't want to be this anymore. Like, how do I transition to this? And, and I'm like, well, just go talk to the person that's in the role and see yeah. what they did. And like, that's yeah. all you have to do and make yourself known that you want to do that. And yeah. that's what gets you the furthest. Absolutely. It sounds like Blair, you really embrace this attitude of, you know, the worst thing that they can say is no, but it never hurts to ask. Right. 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 I, I really appreciate that. It's something that's uncomfortable, but I'll speak to experience even since the two years that we've been with women in chemicals. There's a lot of questions that we've asked of people and we are sitting here with the great leadership team and the folks that are even on this interview with us today, Blair, uh, with Claire and Erica representing our leadership team. We wouldn't have that had we not just asked for that support. Right. So, right. um, it's a learning experience. It's uncomfortable, but oftentimes it ends up in some terrific results. So, right. Claire, do you have anything to add to, to Blair's comments? No, I just love that. Yeah, you took the initiative to identify what you want and you took the initiative to reach out to people, but you recognize that you can't do it all on your own, that you need to understand and have the support of those people. So just to kind of echo Kylie's yeah. comments. So it's fantastic takeaway and a good grounder. Y'all are making me feel amazing because <laughs> I'm, I'm like this unicorn of a person who doesn't normally get to where she is. And I've had a lot of challenges. So I think that's what your, what your next yeah. question is, huh? Yep, exactly. Blair, you're one step ahead of me even. You couldn't be, <laughs> be the moderator. You're doing great. Yeah, do it yeah. all. I, I've done some, I've done some women networking groups and, oh, good. and all that. Good. So I'm comfortable. <laughs> 
That's amazing. I love it. And that's what we want, right? So on the topic of kind of leaning into some of these challenging situations. So with your career path, your responsibilities, you've likely faced a lot of situations where there's an easy answer and then there's the right answer. Um, How do you know when to speak out or to speak up and how do you navigate those situations? So you just have to recognize the fact that you're there to do a job and even though you might get pushback from your response that you want to bring it up. Just, I guess, a little bit of background. So in quality, there's a lot of standards that you have to follow as an organization, as, you know, anything like that. So I was an auditor as well. So quality on top of very detail oriented, I had to be trained to notice gaps. And um, in an industry that we're in, you cannot have gaps. OSHA and all those regulatory folks will capitalize on that and it it could lead up to hurting someone right so it's a very slippery slope and very dangerous when you're you're dealing with quality control and um that's <laughs> if you've ever heard of the red redheaded stepchild quote quality and hsne are the most underappreciated in the plants because we're the ones that come to them always with problems that they have to solve, but we're, you're open because you follow environmental permits and regulations and you're open because your quality of your product is what you say it is Mm -hmm. and what you send to customers. So in my experience, if I see a lab practice or something that's going on, that's, oh, we've been doing this for 20 something years. It's been fine. And you go in and you're like, "Mm -mm, no, it's not fine. They're like, whoa, why is it not fine? We've been doing this. Like, no, no, ma'am. Like you can't, there's certain things that you have to do. And I've had to literally say, look, this is what the SOP says. And they're like, well, we haven't been doing it like that. Why does it say this? Well, this is the, these are the reasons why. Okay, so it's been an educational thing. You yeah. have to follow your ethical compass when it comes to standards and when it comes to doing things the right way by SOP because those rules and regulations are there to protect everyone. Mm-hmm. And it gets really personal when you're dealing with people in their units. People in their units, especially operators, they have per- like they have been there for years and they are passionate about what they do and they're it is very hard to convince people in this industry that what they've been doing for 20 something years isn't right so so though that though and that's a main question I get okay how are you going to talk to operations on how how do you want to go about telling them this information without coming off as right such so that's like a big a big thing that you have to do as a process engineer like hey you need to realize that these moves that y'all been making for x amount of time hurts the catalyst or whatever it does yeah so you have to be able to say it's not it wasn't maybe wasn't realized that y'all that this wasn't the right practice maybe the information is new so but here going forward we're going to do this so I've had a lot of instances where I've gone to my manager and said, look, I can't, 
I, like in my past roles, I'm like, I, I the, all this has to change. I can't do my job unless I feel like I'm, I'm with establishing ethics here. I cannot say, you know, go against customer, um, complaints. Like you have to take all those things into consideration. So I just kind of stood my ground and said, no, 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 this isn't right. We need to, we need to change these things instead of just going with the flow and, um, not, not talking to operations and not fighting those fights. Right. Because that's, that's a part of life. You're, you grow and you get better every day. And that's what we're trying to do. And, and nothing's perfect, but you really have to realize it's not personal when we come to y'all and say, look, yeah. you know, this isn't right, but we got to make it. So, so we have a yep. job. Like, so yep. that's, that's how I take those things. So it's been, it's been difficult at times, but you have to have your manager backing you hundred percent. Um, always have your standards in place to say, Hey, no, like these are the regulations that we have in yeah. place to, to prevent this from happening. So right. those are the hard things that you just don't want to say, but you have to, in order to, yeah. to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I did the best I can do today. And I'm not leaving any stone unturned. Right. Yeah. It sounds like you have to be comfortable with questioning the status quo to, you know, see this bigger purpose or alignment as to, you know, why you are there, why you're all there and what, you know, greater purpose you're serving. So, um, those, those challenging conversations can be <laughs> uncomfortable, but over time, I think you learn to live in that discomfort a little bit and, you know, maybe your, your North star or your guiding light are those regulations that everyone needs to meet to maintain operations, to maintain safety, um, of each other and to maintain that sense of community, maybe that we've discussed a little bit throughout the conversation today as well. Yeah. Um, well, Blair, we're coming to kind of the end of our interview and our conversation with you today. Um, and we always want to close out with enabling you to share any advice, guidance, recommendations of any kind that you might think that our community could find valuable. So I'll let you do that now. Well, thank you. So um, again, I want to uh, thank you guys for, for bringing me on and able to share my story. And I hope this uh, motivates future women to break barriers and break the status quo, right? Question the status quo. Yeah. Um, my takeaways are always be true to yourself and you need to have a good support system. Obviously, if you're a mother in this field, mm -hmm. and, um, you can I mean, you can, you can do it. There's a, if there's a will, there's a way. And also um, some of the tools that I, I like for self-awareness is the Gallup Clifton strengths. Yeah. So I was uh, part of the women network. I established the women network at Honeywell uh, a couple years back. And we had this fantastic um, Gallup representative come to speak to our women about, um, pitches like the two what is it the two minute uh pitch that you give about the elevator yourself speech. elevator speech yes elevator speech we we wanted everybody to be able to establish that and right. one of the main things we did was a clifton strengths survey on your strengths and what you do is you go in it's kind of like a yep. um uh, hour-long survey with questions about what will you do in this scenario and you get a populated you can get either the 10 answer one or the 32 answer one yeah got all these um variables in there and your traits 
Um, so apparently I'm very disciplined and <laughs> like things that they give you afterwards. And it, it, it kind of digs into, okay, if this style of, um, like this trait you're a little weaker on, they don't really call it weaker, but your less, your lesser strengths, how would you work that up? So say if it yeah. was your strength was communication, like they give you tools on how to help you with communication yeah. skills. And if you wanted to be, a, if leadership was something that you were, you were lacking, like how would you be able to uh, build that skill set up and knowing yourself, knowing what you're really good at and, and kind of honing in on those to help you in your career. So that, that would be the main takeaway is like a lot of self-awareness, mm-hmm. trust yourself and believe that you can do it because we can do anything in this field. Absolutely. Blair, thank you so much for sharing your story and your advice, your unique story. Um, I think you are one of our uh, first more plant-based, more technical-based experience and interview that we've had. So this has been truly enlightening for me and I appreciate your vulnerability, your willingness and excitement to share with us today. It's really been a treat. So thanks so much. Thank y'all for having me and uh, invite me back soon. <laughs> we love to, I would love to be more involved in your community. I found out uh, about y'all through LinkedIn. Amazing. LinkedIn person. So any <laughs> other events y'all have, just let me know. Absolutely. Thanks, Claire. Well, I appreciate it.